it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Well, I won't say hey, girl. That's his line. But it is me, Rich Zioli, in for Jimmy today on Fox Across America. Your buddy, your pal, Jimmy Fallon has a day off. Some big things are happening with him, by the way. Big things. Big things. So I am the afternoon drive host in WPHD in Philadelphia. And Jimmy and I are pals. Of course, he's had me on his show many times. He's been on my show many, many times. So... We should be like buddies by now, me and you. And we got a lot to chat about today. It's going to be a busy one. We got some great guests coming up. And did you watch the debate last night? That's the question. Did you watch the debate? The big Newsom DeSantis smackdown. And we heard a lot about homeless poop. And I thought that that was the best thing that DeSantis brought to the table, was just mocking the absurdity and insanity of California over the fact that, yeah, yeah, you're, you, can, you can defecate on the streets. Yeah, you can absolutely do those things. Uh, that was the best part about it. No question about it. But but Newsom, oh, I mean, the guy is so smug. And he really is. He's smug and he, he's like a like a bad used car salesman or, I don't know, like a bad accident lawyer. Like one of those guys, like, like a Saul Goodman type, just he's slick. You know, he's slick. But the thing about it is a number of people said, why, like, what's the point of this? These two are, neither one of them are going to be the nominees for the for their parties. What's the, what's the, what's the point? Well, I'm not so sure that's true. I think on the Republican side, Trump is going to be the nominee. I think that that's just the reality. The polling shows that. I just I don't see anybody cutting into that lead. I think DeSantis had a chance to early on, but he didn't. And now it's obvious that the Republican establishment is moving their money over to Nikki Haley. You're seeing more and more of them, the Koch brothers and all these other different organizations who are coming on board with Nikki Haley. And so that means that they've said, all right, DeSantis, we like you, but you, you can't win. You can't win this thing, so, you know, time to go. But on the Democrat side, though, I'm not so sure we did not watch the Democrat nominee for president of the United States last night. I'm not so sure we didn't. Because the thing about Newsom is that he's obviously auditioning for the job. And part of that audition process is to try to convince everybody, hey, I'm just, I'm a moderate. What are you talking about? I'm a moderate. I'm not an extreme liberal. Stop. I'm not, a, I'm not an extreme lefty. Give me a break. Come on. I'm a, I'm a sensible moderate Democrat. What I saw last night was a guy trying to redefine himself to be a sensible Democrat. It's the, it's the playbook, right? It's like it's what Clinton did in the 90s. Try to say that he's a different kind of Democrat. You know, he's, I remember there was one time where they said to Bill Clinton something like, you're a liberal, and he said, that, that dog just won't hunt, and he talked about a new Democrat party. I mean, I could see if Newsom got the nod. Like, let, let's just say Biden falls down the steps of Air Force One one more time, and it's, you know, lights out. And they turn to Gavin Newsom and they tap him on the shoulder and say, all right, let's go. Put you in, coach. Get out of the bullpen. You're stepping up. I could absolutely see Gavin Newsom and that luscious quaff of hair of his trying to explain to everybody that he is just some sort of a centrist, moderate Democrat, that he is he is just a, a new a new Democrat for a new era in America. I could see it. I don't believe it. And and you should not believe it either one, because the guy is full of. He's full of it. I mean, he's full of the same stuff you step on in the streets of San Francisco. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And as far as the Santos goes, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And I and I and I mean no disrespect to him. If you are a DeSantis supporter, I'm not. I'm not in any way 
homeless pooping on the guy or anything like that. I'm just simply calling it, like I see it, balls and strikes and looking at the polling data. And obviously, something can change. It's only December 1st. Hard to believe it's already December. And there's still a long time to go. But it would take something very, very dramatic. It's not going to be Trump being found guilty of a crime. His base won't care. It's, it's, it would have to be something so meteoric that you just couldn't even predict it for that to change. I think that's just the political reality of where we are. But on the Democrat side, though, it's, it's, it's very different. They are openly talking about replacing Joe Biden on the ticket. They are openly saying these things. You have, uh, what's his name, David Axelrod. Yeah, David Axelrod, the axe, who was the guy behind Barack Obama's victory in 2008. David Axelrod out there telling everybody that Joe Biden can't win and Joe Biden has to go. And so as long as that's happening, as long as the axe is out there saying those kind of things, it means that he's been given permission from the Democrat masters of the universe that they, they have to make a change. They would not be openly saying these things. In fact, if you look at the timing of that, David Axelrod came out on a Sunday morning and went on a tweet storm or an X storm, I guess, now that it's the platform is known as X, about how Joe Biden can't win. Joe Biden can't win. And, and at this point now, he need, they, need, they need to do something. They need to do something. And he said it's late in the game, but he said if they're counting on the only way he wins is that Trump loses, that is going to be their mistake. It's the same playbook that Hillary Clinton had. It didn't work out for them, and it's not going to work out now. But that weekend, what's very interesting about that is that that weekend was the Obama 15-year reunion weekend in Chicago, Illinois. Yes, the Obamas got together again to talk about today's the day we transformed America and celebrate 15 years since that big win that night. And they spent a weekend together. And you know, it's like if you ever go to a wedding or something, Friday night, everybody gets into town. You have some drinks. You start the party. Sunday's the big show or Saturday's the big show, obviously. And then Sunday morning, everybody tries to look presentable at the brunch, clean up as best they possibly can, say their goodbyes, and then get back to their real life and deal with the hangovers and everything else. But for Axelrod, that Sunday morning, and I I have no idea if the guy drinks or not, but maybe over a Bloody Mary, maybe over an espresso, who knows? That's when he went on a sweet storm. The Sunday ending of the Obama three-day weekend festival to celebrate Obama's victory. Yeah. Now, again, I I, I don't believe in coincidences in life. I don't think that that was accidental. I think that was deliberate. I've always thought that Barack Obama is really still kind of pulling the strings here. You know what I mean? Joe Biden's, uh, I think we could all effectively say a puppet. And Biden's got his hand in there, moving the mouth. And I think that the Obama people realize they didn't want Joe to run in the first place, remember. 2016, when that, when that happened, they didn't want Joe to run. And they picked Hillary Clinton. And Barack Obama had to take him out to lunch and tell him that they were backing Hillary Clinton for, uh, for president. In fact, there was an effort to actually dump him off a ticket in 2012 to put Hillary on. So they've never been really fond of Joe Biden. And I, I always believe that the reason why is because Obama knows all about Biden's corruption. I mean, all the, the alleged corruption that took place with Ukraine and, and China and Russia and all this money and, you know, Joe Biden going over there and telling them, fire the prosecutor or else I withhold a billion dollars in aid. Obama knew all that was happening. His people knew all that was happening. And they know that Joe Biden's corrupt. And I think that they know now that they can't hide it this time. It's all going to come out. And it's also going to tarnish his legacy. You know, as all this comes out more and more, it's going to tarnish Obama's legacy because you got to turn around at some point and go, how did you, why did you let this happen in your White House? 
you have this guy here who was selling the store for parts and access, and you let this happen. Why did you do that? So I think they want him gone. Now, as far as how you replace him, that's the tricky part. Now, normally what you would just do is you would say, look, I'm sorry, you got to go, and we're going to back Kamala Harris, and she's your vice president, and she'll carry on your legacy, and she can win. But here's the problem. As much as Joe Biden is disliked, people dislike her even more. She's more of a political problem than Joe Biden is. People just don't like Kamala Harris. That's the truth. So it's not like they can just turn around and go, all right, you know, let's just swap the, let's just put her on the top of the ticket and move on. And first black woman VP, now presidential candidate. And no, 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 no. First of all, the Biden people hate her. You remember back in those debates, back in the early part of 2020, pre-COVID, when she was the one up on the stage accusing Joe Biden of being a racist, which, I mean, let's face it, he was uh, opposing the ending of segregated busing in Delaware. Because back then he used to pal around with the Seggies, as Chris Matthews once called the the, the Seggies, the segregationists in the Senate. Those were his buds. Those were his buddies. And when she did this vicious takedown of Biden in that debate, oh, the Biden people have not forgotten that. There's no love lost between those two camps. They didn't want her on the ticket. It was just a matter of political convenience, which often happens in politics, right? It often happens. You wind up getting into a situation where you, you, you have to have this person as your running mate simply because of the fact that they can help you get over the finish line. Doesn't mean you like them. Doesn't mean you want to be anywhere near them, for that matter. Doesn't mean you want to, you can stand their face. But since they can't have her on the ticket, then you have to think about other people. And this is where Gavin Newsom comes in. Now, there's obviously the Michelle Obama rumors running around there. She said to people she has no interest in doing it. I think that um, she would probably do it in a heartbeat. I think that she would not really be the president. She could just be the, the Pino, the president in name only, and Brock could run the show again. And I, I think I think they could convince her to do that if they just say to her, oh, look, you, we know you don't want to be in the public eye, but, you know, just take the job and we'll, we'll take care of it for you. And you don't have to worry about it. But, again, it's, that's, that's a leap. You know, that's a, that's a far political leap. More likely is that they turn to either one of three people, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer or Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, who I refer to as King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, because he he did. He got some sort of a hair transplant or something, which looks like he stapled the rug on his head. And you contrast that with Gavin Newsom's beautiful quaff of hair with all the pomade that he uses and pure petroleum. I think the carbon footprint on Gavin Newsom's hair is the equivalent of like one private jet trip for John Kerry. It's a lot of oil in that hair to keep it looking as slick as it does. But that's a problem, though, because how do you just get rid of the first black woman vice president for another white dude? It's a problem because within the Democrat Party, they're going to turn around. They're going to scream that it's racist and sexist and misogynistic. And they're going to say, once again, the Democrat Party is just backing the white guy. But Newsom is trying. He's angling for this. He's, he's angling and trying to convince everybody he's just some sort of a moderate. Let me play a little audio for you from last night's debate. Here's a little montage for you. A little montage. I'm going to focus on cut number two, Josh. Let's start there. Uh, DeSantis and Newsom sparring over schools and parental rights. Cut two. It's also important to respect parental rights to know what curriculum is being used in the classroom, and everything should be age appropriate. I actually have something that I brought that some parents have objected to. 
So this is a book that's in some of the schools in California. Florida, this is not consistent with our standards, called Gender Queer. Some of it's blacked out. You would not probably be able to put this on air. This is pornography. This is a ginned-up, made-up issue to divide this country. You talk about dividing this country? This is part of the culture war, the weaponization of grievance. This is part using education. We're focusing on math, science. We're focusing on reimagining our school system. We're going to get to education next. He's criminalizing teachers and criminalizing librarians. Check out the wrong book. You had more kids locked out of school for a longer period of time in California than anywhere else in the country. It was the working class kids. It was the middle income kids. His kids were in private school. They were in class. We have one of the best records under COVID, during COVID. And again, you didn't answer to the fact you had more learning loss. Ron DeSantis had more learning loss during COVID. Fourth grade reading, fourth grade math, eighth grade reading, eighth grade math. We outperformed you. See, he's trying to show that he's a sensible, moderate Democrat. Don't believe it, because the guy is the furthest thing from it. This is Fox Across America. Jimmy's off today. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you. Don't go away. The show that leaves you without hope or change. I'm telling you, man, this stuff will poison your mind. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. So, the campaign that could have been, that's how everybody's describing last night, the 2024 campaign that could have been, but the question is, could it be? Welcome back to Fox Across America. Jimmy Fail is off today. It's me, Rich Julian for Jimmy. Mike is in South Carolina. Mike, you're on Fox Across America. What did you think of the debate last night? Hey, Rich, I think it was kind of a glimpse into the future after this next election. I'm hoping this next election is the last election of old people, and I can say that as an old person. I'm ready for some new blood, and I think think that's what we saw last night. Ron DeSantis versus American Psycho. Oh, my gosh, he's (laughs) a greasy used car salesman. Holy cow. 
He does look like Christian Bale in American Psycho. You're right about that. He definitely and, bears I a mean, resemblance. I, I listened to the debate. I didn't get to see the charts that Sean talked about, but apparently he can look at the data and just flat out lie about what is on the chart and spin it so that he can make it uh, one of his uh, talking points. Uh, wow, that that's uh, that's a used car salesman right there. But what do you think, though? I mean, what's the likelihood these two are actually going to be facing each other in a general election in 2024? Oh, I don't not I don't think next year. Uh, I think they're probably next. I mean, that, that's my take on it. This is what's going to be after this next election. Who knows what's going to happen on the Democrat side in the next 12 months? It, it's going to be fascinating. You said meteoric. Yes, I think that is a that is a perfect word. Something that nobody is going to expect is going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Well, we shall see. Mike, thanks for the call. Have a great day. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, let's play a little bit more audio from the debate last night. Another montage for you. little montage, some debate highlights put together. Let's start with cut one. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he was really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, and oh, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count... Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California. I can handle it. I'm used to bully. You're nothing but a bully. You're I understand that. Intimidating and humiliating people. But, you know, California does have freedoms uh, that some people don't, uh, that other states don't. You have the freedom to defecate in public in California. <laughs> you have the freedom to pitch a tent on Sunset Boulevard. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. There's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. We have to get real here. We have to understand that, that Biden is not a job. He has no business running for president. And, you know, Gavin Newsom agrees with that. He won't say that. But that's why he's running his shadow campaign. Well, I'll take, I'll, I will take Joe Biden at 100 versus Ron DeSantis any day of the week at any age. Well, I got to tell you, DeSantis smoked him with those jokes about all the homeless poop on the streets, and that was great. And he got a lot of praise from conservatives over this. He's saying that he whipped him. He did. He whipped him pretty good. That doesn't mean that he's going to be the Republican nominee, but on the chance that, that Gavin Newsom becomes the Democrat nominee, and like I said, that's a, that's a, it's a far chance. It's not exactly likely. But nevertheless, DeSantis was able to bring out a lot of the most insane things that you've heard. Like Mark Levin, who, of course, hosts Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox News every weekend. DeSantis is kicking Newsom's butt. In fact, Newsom is looking and sounding silly. DeSantis went up against a Democrat Party star and whipped him. It's just that simple. Uh, I was 100% wrong on this debate. I thought Gavin Newsom would be likable and intelligent, said Clay Travis. I was incorrect. This is a massacre. If this were a boxing match, Newsom's corner would have thrown him the towel a long time ago. Complete and total win for DeSantis from open to close. Andrew Pollack, father of Parkland victim Meadow Pollack, said, My daughter died in the Parkland mass shooting. Ron DeSantis was not even governor when it happened, but I'm sure as hell glad he became governor shortly after. Governor DeSantis fired the incompetent people responsible. He didn't demonize lawful gun owners. Newsom is trash. Holy cow, said Chris Lash on Twitter. If you aren't blind, you are witnessing the the dismantling of the California governor. Handy puts up the graphic of the facts, and then Gavin says the opposite is true. DeSantis is destroying him with simple comparison of records. 
Dave Rubin. I've never seen anything like this. Newsom literally can't say one sentence that is true. DeSantis is calmly just laying out facts and reality. This disconnect from reality, Newsom and the left, they are disconnected, and that is exactly what needs to be exposed. Oh, yeah. Is there anyone on Twitter.com that thinks Newsom is doing a good job here? Well, of course, people on the left. Of course they did. In some ways, everybody goes to their side, and you know. but I think what we saw last night in Gavin Newsom was a sleazeball. And I love that comparison to Christian Bale in American Psycho. It's Fox Cross America with Jimmy Fallon. It's me, Rich Zioli, coming right back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's Fox Across America on a busy Friday afternoon. Jimmy Fail is off today. It's me, Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD in Philly. Jimmy's great affiliate. And so nice to be with you this afternoon. Big day. Congressman former in battle. Congressman still in battle, but now I guess former technically. Representative George Santos expelled from the House of Representatives. Here to talk about it today, Congressman Dan Muser in Pennsylvania. Congressman, where I broadcast from in Philadelphia, we are kindred spirits. How are you today, sir? Hey, I'm great, Rich. Outstanding uh, to be with you. What happened with Santos? What uh, And this just really happened this morning, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. We had a vote on it this morning. And, and frankly, with all the other crises created by uh, the Biden administration um, and his sycophant, uh, uh, too many Democrats that, that support this Bidenomics and, and Biden foreign policy, the Santos vote in many ways was, was really a sideshow. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it was brought to the floor through special uh, privilege resolution. And um, there were many people, particularly from New York, that were strongly adamant about expelling him from the House. Uh, we waited uh, for an ethics report before anything would be done. And the ethics report was absolutely scathing. I mean, the commentary was he fraudulently exploited every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial profit. I mean, I mean, the guy spent from, from his campaign $1,500 on Botox, $2,000 on a personal trip to Atlantic City. You know, I donated $1,000 to him, uh, in, um, actually $3,000 total between the primary and his uh, general election from, uh, from personally and my campaign. And here I see he spent $3,000 at an Airbnb on a personal trip to the Hamptons. Um, you know, that's theft. And our, um, our ethics committee uh, came out with this scathing report. And according to the Constitution, uh, we in the House, the members, uh, are to remove an individual, a member for disorderly behavior. Um, with two-thirds vote, uh, we can expel a member. And in this case, we were the, we were the jury. Uh, you know, he's going to have his due process in a court of law to see if he goes to jail. But he's currently a free man, but no longer a member of the U.S. House. And where did you vote on that, Congressman, just so everybody knows? I voted to expel. I, yeah. I just, 
you know, I look at things in a manner that I, I look at the evidence and then I look at the Constitution and what is our duty as per an authority as per the Constitution. And it doesn't say wait until he's convicted by a jury of his peers. It doesn't say any of that. It says that we have the authority and the duty to expel a member for disorderly behavior, uh, unbecoming of a, of a member. Um, and it's in the Constitution for a reason. And if it wasn't there or if it said wait for a conviction in a court of law, I certainly would have done that. But it, it doesn't say that. And based upon the evidence that I carefully reviewed, even though it was a, it's a sideshow versus our border, versus our inflation, versus the billions being spent in the Ukraine and, and other issues um, worldwide and domestically and crime in our streets, um, you know, I had a vote on it. And so I voted to expel him. Congressman Dan Muser is with me, and we're here on Fox Force America, of course. Now, let, let's talk about some of those big issues that are going on that, outside of this, because like, like you said, I mean, there's other things to talk about. Um, Congress is eyeing immigration limits as the Republicans demand border changes in a swap for all the overseas aid that Biden's proposing, Ukraine, Israel, humanitarian aid for Gaza. Where, where, where is all that headed right now, and is it definitely going to be a giant aid package, or can we separate these things out? Because I personally think we should, you know, up or down vote in Ukraine, up or down vote in Israel, yeah. and, and not combine these things. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you um, very much. I do think wholeheartedly. However, uh, I, don't, I don't get to um, – I'm not the speaker. I don't get to decide on how it's coming to the floor, although I have good conversations with Mike Johnson – um, and in the end, what we always need to do due to the fact that we have, um, you know, we have majority in the U.S. House. We don't in the Senate. We certainly don't have the White House. Uh, we need the most conservative bills. We bring the most conservative bills to the floor that we can, that we, that, what we also think that can pass. So right now, the Republicans in the Senate are working on the supplemental that you, that you reference. And, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't like it uh, right out of the gate, but if we can get border security out of it, uh, real border security, not just funding, changes in policy when it comes to asylum, that we truly slow, if not stop, the, the minimize at, at, at very least uh, the 250,000 coming across, the hundreds of those on the, uh, on the terrorist watch list, the millions of gotaways. I mean, it's insane. The border is completely out of control. So if we can correct that and bring that down to even close to where it was under Trump, uh, which was about 30 to 35,000, about 1,000 a day we're coming across. Uh, today, it's 10,000 a day, 10 times worse. Um, if we can make some corrective uh, uh, actions to, to uh, minimize that and the unbelievable cost, you know, that's something that doesn't come up. You know, it's, it's nearly $450 billion dollars being spent on this as well, on, 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 uh, on, on facilitating, not stopping, but facilitating illegals into our country and transporting them wherever they want to go and, and everything else. You know, if there's, if there's one reason and only one reason alone to rid us, expel the Biden family uh, from the White House, uh, the, the border is is um, is that that one one reason, and then there's of course everything else. So, but back to the supplemental. So, what they may do is attach, say, 14 billion dollars of Ukraine aid and some money for and, and Israel, uh, the funding for Israel. If they tie that to real, real 
concrete improvements and corrections to our border policy, uh, we're definitely going to take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, the, the only problem, though, and this is a, a legitimate one, which is are we actually going to get something that secures the border and not just right. a law change regarding asylum, which, you know, the courts could then interpret and just throw out? Will, will we actually get real border security in exchange for this? Because otherwise, I think it's going to be a situation where the Republicans are going to wind up regretting it down the road. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real serious issue coming our way. It's rushing towards us. Um, my guess is we're going to have something, uh, a written legislation from the Senate uh, by Christmas. However, I also understand the last two days they didn't make any progress on it. Uh, we had John Thume over in, a, in conference with us uh, yesterday, I guess it was, or the day before going through it. And, um, you know, it sounds good, but we we, we got to see the, uh, the, the fine print. Now, let's face it, on the same note, you know, this Israeli – the, the situations in Israel and and Ukraine are are very dangerous, right? I mean, we can't we can't say it's not. Nevertheless, the idea that we leave our own border open and put our own people into danger, and here we are focusing on sending money. By the way, Israel and I'm all I'm all for what Hamas did, the massacres, outrageousness, but but Israel's in far better financial shape than the United States of America. That's just, that's just a fact. Uh, their debt to GDP is 58%, which is really a sweet spot for a country. Ours is 118%. So now on the same note, we should get them all the military, all the defense, all the Patriot missiles, all the um, Iron Dome missiles for defense and everything else that they need. But uh, and then and then we'll figure out who's going to pay for it. But we, we need to be we need to assist them now. And I'll also tell you this, uh, Rich, the um, the situation in, in the Ukraine is getting dire as well. I mean, Russia's got a big push on. And my thing is, I had a long conversation with uh, Speaker Johnson yesterday. We need our so-called allies in Europe to fund at levels at, for equivalent GDPs of the EU versus the United States. Uh, they need to be funding at equivalent levels to the taxpayers of, of the United States of America. And until that happens, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really not interested in, in asking the American taxpayers to send Ukraine another $20 billion. Uh, the, Biden, the Biden State Department and Defense Department's got to go to work with our allies and say that since we're $25 billion higher than them now, maybe even $35 billion. If you, if you look at the numbers in, in, the, in, a, in the right way, uh, the next $35 billion should be coming from the EU to support uh, the Ukraine. But either way, we, uh, we, we, really, we really can't send a message to Putin that we're backing off because he's a war criminal. And we, we, we really – it would not be in the interest of, of America for Russia to take control of the Ukraine. That would be a disaster in, in my view. Congressman Dan Muser, I mean, you make a lot of good points, but but I think it would be good if there could be a debate on this. You know, I mean, uh, everything you're saying yeah. regarding the money is accurate. I, I understand the, the sentiment about not wanting Putin to win. Absolutely. Um, but there, I just I think Congress needs to debate this before writing just another check. And you made that point, too. And I think you're right yeah. about that point. I think that this is where, you know, the White House is doing and, and Schumer and others are doing is this sleazy trick. Right. You put it with you with Israel and right. everybody supports helping Israel. So then you just gloss over the debate over Ukraine and the timeline, the ending. What, what's the strategy? How much? All those things go out the window. But I think your points are excellent on that. Let me ask you this while I have you, because uh, there's a lot that's going on in 
our neck of the woods in, in Pennsylvania. Crime, where I broadcast from in Philadelphia, I mean, it, it's outrageous. Yeah. We have mm-hmm. good cops who are fleeing progressive cities for conservative suburbs. And, you know, like in Philly, they can't find – they have such a recruitment problem. And I say all the time to my friends who are cops in the city, I would not want your job. I would not want your job because the city doesn't have your back. Now, hopefully now with the new mayor and the new commissioner, that will change. But at least for now, that's been the way. And I think you see this in cities across the country right now where a lot of people are turning around saying, why, why would I be a cop there? I'm not even going to get the support that I need yeah. for my job. Yeah. yeah, it's bad, you know, and, and I honestly think by um, voting uh, non-Democrat, shall we say, or better yet, voting Republican in 24 will make a big difference on crime. I think we have an ideology of appeasement. I think that shows on the international stage. I think that shows at our border and it, it, it's leaving uh, scars on, on our streets and and putting people in, in very unsafe situations. I mean, you know, D.C. is a disaster. and You know, Philly is really no better. I mean, we all love Philly, but it's, but it's no better. You know, I, I had I have eight staffers here in Washington in my Washington office. Three of them were held up at gunpoint sometime in the last two years. Held up at gunpoint. Carjacking is up over a hundred seven percent in 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 Washington D.C. Homicides are up. Uh, smash and grabs are just a, a regular thing. I go to the local CBS. I've been in there probably eight times since I've been here over the last four and a half years. And twice a smash and grab incident was, was taking place. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's – now, the problem is the defunding of the police. There's simply no question. In D.C., it was reduced by over $100 million from a $600 million budget over the last, uh, over the last few years. Philly was on the same track. Now, I will tell you this. My understanding is Philly has finally begun correcting course, and lo and behold – Many of the numbers, many of the increases in crime in Philly have actually de- been, been decreasing over, over the course of the last uh, – or th- throughout 2023. So I, I, I think um, funding the police – but the other big part of this, Rich, is the prosecutors. I mean, these prosecutors – you know, Krasner, his prosecution rate, I believe – and I want to get this number right – I believe is 37 percent. So 37 percent. So that so, – so that means that that 63% of those who get arrested do not get prosecuted. Do you know in San Diego, which is the equivalent size city to Philly, a little bit smaller, uh, the prosecution rate is 68%, and they have one-tenth the level of crime. So these prosecutors have to actually be prosecutors, not office holders that – have an ideology over appeasement that care more about their ideology than they care about outcomes and what's in the interest of of the residents of of Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and most cities. So, yeah, it's outrageous. needs to be done. I'm submitting a bill. I I created a a piece of legislation that we're going to see what we do with that if the prosecution rate is not at the average level, uh, and we're figuring that out right now, I think it's 63 percent. Um, they're not going to receive federal grant money, uh, those great. prosecution officers. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. That's an excellent bill, Congressman. Excellent bill. I like that a lot. Everything you said, I love. Uh, that whole that whole tirade you just went on, fantastic. Well done. <laughs> uh, I'll get you on my show in Philly very, very soon so we can chat about this more because I think my audience would love to hear about that bill. 
uh, and they would be cheering you on. Congressman Dan Muser, thank you so much for making the time today here on Fox Across America. Have a great weekend. I really appreciate it, Rich. You have a great weekend, too. Thank you. And we'll be right back on Fox Across America. By the way, some breaking news. Sandra Day O'Connor, former Supreme Court justice and the first woman appointed to the court by President Ronald Reagan, died today at 93 years old. I'll give you the latest on that. Plus the question, of course, uh, are we doing Christmas ornaments this year? Or is the generation that complains about everything unhappy with ornaments and trying something else? I'll give you the theories behind all that. Don't go away. The critics have spoken. It's a mess. It's a mess. This is Fox Across America. Yes. We got a lot to chat about here on Fox Across America. It's me, Rich Zioli, and for your pal and mine, Jimmy Fallon. Great to be with you. Tell you what, Sandra Day O'Connor, she passed away. She was really, truly groundbreaking Supreme Court justice. And Ronald Reagan appointed her to the bench. And even though she had a chance in the KCV Planned Parenthood decision to really change things, and she blew it, in my opinion, with that. Uh, Nevertheless, it's a great reminder that Republicans are not uh, sexist and misogynist because she was appointed by President Ronald Reagan. Uh, 93 years old. The late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Yeah, the KCV Planned Parenthood decision, which was actually, it's funny too, that case before the Supreme Court, which would have overturned Roe v. Wade, the precursor to the case that ultimately did overturn Roe v. Wade when the justices voted last summer. But in that case, it was the governor of Pennsylvania, a Democrat, Bob Casey, suing Planned Parenthood. He was a pro-life Democrat. He's probably the last one. They would not let him speak at the Democrat National Convention. Think about this now. You're the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania. But because you, he was pro-life, they wouldn't let him on the stage. They wouldn't let him actually speak. Or maybe they gave him like a, like a little, you know, sideshow thing, but certainly not primetime. That's for sure. But that was a very landmark case. And uh, it was a case that probably, in hindsight, I think when Sandra Day O'Connor voted with the majority in that case, um, made a lot of people feel like she had betrayed Ronald Reagan because Ronald Reagan, of course, was a very pro-life, active, spoken pro-life president. And they felt like Sandra Day O'Connor's flip on that decision was just a betrayal to him. But, look, you know, like anything else in life, you have to also take the good with the bad, right? And that's the thing about... Justice Sandra O'Connor, she will always be remembered for being Reagan's pick, in my my mind. She'll be remembered for being Reagan's pick, and Reagan deserves credit for putting a woman on the bench at a time when the left screamed about no women on the bench, and he did. Uh, History tries to ignore that fact. They act like Joe Biden is the one who's actually been putting all this diversity on the court. Um, But Reagan, let's not forget that. All right, we got a lot more to chat about today here on Fox Across America. Coming up, what's going on ground in Israel? A reporter on the ground to give you the latest bird's eye view. It's me, Rich Zioli. And for your pal and mine, Jimmy Fallon, we're coming right back. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. So... 
Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy's off today. It's a Friday. We're feeling good. So excited to be in for my buddy and yours, Jimmy Fallon. And it's Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD with you. What to chat about today. It's a busy day for a Friday. Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to be here in a little bit. We're going to talk to Andy McCarthy later. Hunter Biden. You know, Hunter Biden's going to testify. Yes, he is. Will it be closed doors? Will it be in public? What are we going to get from Hunter Biden? That's the question. We'll also talk to Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. She represents Arizona's 8th Congressional District. Obviously, they're in the eye of the storm with the illegal immigration problem that is sweeping our nation right now. No question about it. And in just a few moments, we are going to get a live report from our very own Greg Palcott, who is live on the ground in Israel. But in the meantime, I want to let you know, Joe Biden has a code to blow up the world. Now, this is helpful. It really is. It's helpful because think about it. If you need to blow up the world and you forget the code, it's one, two, three, four, five. I know that for a fact. I have a friend. He works in the Pentagon. I asked him. I just texted him. I said, what's the code to blow up the world? It's one, two, three, four, five, which is the same code I have in my luggage, by the way. It's easy to remember. You know, forget about it. And for Joe Biden, it makes it pure and simple. Uh, he turned around to a Marine. This is just bizarre. Like, who even thinks this way? Cut 23. Hey, Nick. This is uh, Nick. Oh, Weaver. Buddy. Yeah, now, look, my, my Marine carries that in. It has a code to blow up the world. That doesn't, this is not nuclear weapons, oh, is it? No. All right, okay. <laughs> it's just the code to blow up the world. It's no big deal. Um, as we turn our attention to Israel, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson, Admiral John Kirby, says Israel will continue to find support from the United States. But I have to tell you, a lot of people feel like the United States is telling Israel how to run this war and tying Israel's hands behind its back. But this is what Kirby said, cut 28. So obviously we continue to believe that Israel has the right and responsibility to go after Hamas. They have said, they've spoken for their military campaign and they have said very clearly that, um, that when these pauses are over, they intend to go back at it. And as they make that decision, They'll continue to find support from the United States in terms of the tools and capabilities, the weapon systems that they need, as well as the advice and the perspectives that we can offer in terms of urban warfare. But they don't support certain moves. And this is, again, this is where a lot of people are saying that you are trying to tie their hands when it comes to their war, their effort to, as Gavin Newsom said last night, eliminate Hamas. Hamas, Hamas must be eliminated how can they do that, though, if the White House is, is tying Israel's hands behind its back? Cut 29. Cut 29, sorry. 29. We have been very consistent and clear with our Israeli counterparts that uh, we do not support uh, a move to the south unless or until they have adequately accounted for the protection of innocent human life, civilian life, in southern Gaza. Would the understanding that there's a whole heck of a lot more innocent civilians in southern Gaza than there were a week or two ago. What we want to see and what we're urging our Israeli counterparts to do is to make sure that there's a proper accounting for that, that there are, that, that there is appropriate safety measures put in place. All right. Now, the question becomes, what is going on on the ground in Israel right now? And I'm very, very excited. Can I, can I bring him up? Okay. Wonder, oh, excellent. Great. Fantastic. So very, very excited to welcome to the show right now. And this is huge. This is a big get. This is great. Greg Palcott, Fox News Senior Foreign Affairs Correspondent 
live from Israel. Greg, thank you for making time today on Fox Cross America. Appreciate it. That's our pleasure, Rich. Talk to me about what uh, what the latest is, what's going on. Well, the latest is the war is back on. Uh, we are about a mile away from the Gaza Strip uh, in southern Israel. And uh, all day and into this night, it's nighttime here now, we have been uh, watching and hearing Israeli airstrikes against uh, Gaza and Hamas there. We've been seeing our Israeli artillery. We've been watching Hamas rockets go over from Gaza, not far from where we are. Luckily, the Iron Dome defenses of, of Israel knocked them down. And uh, maybe most intriguingly, we've been hearing a lot of automatic gunfire coming from the ground around northern Gaza. That's a, that's a sign, possibly, that there are clashes between uh, the Israeli military, which is in Gaza in big numbers, and the Hamas leadership. Remember that uh, this was a ceasefire. For seven days, there was a temporary halt in fighting while uh, hostages were exchanged with Hamas. We we got up to over 100 exchanged in seven days, which was quite remarkable in exchange for uh, Palestinian prisoners that were uh, sent back to Hamas. Uh, but then it all broke down uh, for a couple of reasons, Rich. Um, number one, um, Israel wasn't satisfied with what Hamas was presenting as their latest group of hostages today. Number two, uh, Hamas has been breaking the ceasefire to some degree, especially with some rockets uh, this morning that, that went from Gaza over into, uh, into Israel. And that was all bets off, and Israel has been active throughout this day, Rich. So, Greg Palcott, the ceasefire that lasted for several days is now officially over. The fighting is back again. I know that the White House wanted Israel to change the way they were doing things in southern Gaza. And that was, of course, very, very controversial. And I just played the clip of John Kirby saying that. Uh, what is What has been Israel's reaction to the White House telling them how they want Israel to handle this next phase of the war? Rich, there there are some gestures being made by Israel towards that, that is being a bit more careful about uh, civilian areas that it targets. What it focused on today was the southern part of uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, an area called Khan Yunus. It is believed that uh, a lot of the Hamas leadership and fighters fled the north and is down there. Now, the hitch is that a lot of civilians have moved from the north to the south, and they're all gathered there, too. So Israel uh, sent a message, flew flyers, went on the Internet, said uh, civilians, Palestinians in that area should move to another area. The problem is, I mean, everything is really, really jammed up. So the uh, Hamas-linked Gaza authorities say that with these airstrikes today, and, and Israel claimed they made uh, 200 strikes by various means, by these uh, strikes today, over 100 uh, Palestinians have been killed in the Gaza Strip. No, no confirmation of that, but we do also know that uh, what has been disrupted is the uh, critical humanitarian supplies that had been coming in for the past seven days. So certainly Israel... Um, making some gestures to what the United States has been asking. But, uh, frankly, there's been just a lot more destruction today and, and possibly deaths as well as it reopens its war, Rich. 
Greg Palcott, Fox News senior foreign affairs correspondent with me right now on Fox Across America. It's great that Greg is making his time available for us. I know that from Israel's perspective, they want to eliminate Hamas, and that's difficult because you're not just fighting an army here. You're, you're fighting a group of people who, as you mentioned, Greg, are embedded among civilians. And Israel has made the point of saying we are, we are doing everything we possibly can to protect the civilian population. And I know there's also information that comes out from the Hamas Ministry of Health saying how many civilians have, have, have died and that sort of thing. How, how credible, though, can that be, knowing that the, the, the Hamas Ministry of Health is run by Hamas? I mean, it's, it's or the Palestinian Ministry of Health. I mean, it's run by Hamas, so obviously some of that is going to be propaganda. How do we take any of those numbers seriously? What other methods are being used right now to really understand the civilian impacts of this next phase of the war? Well, I think it's pretty visible, uh, Rich, uh, in the uh, aerial photography that uh, the the Israeli military has been putting out, as well as media here uh, on on the northern end of the Gaza Strip, as well as the south. The destruction certainly can be seen. Those exact numbers cannot be verified in in an absolute way, but uh, officials do believe that the death toll inside Gaza Strip has been uh, pretty, pretty high, and that's, that's the nature of this beast. As you mentioned, uh, Hamas, which basically runs the Gaza Strip, has no problems with using the civilians there as their uh, basically human shields. Uh, They did that horrendous damage with the the terror strikes into Israel on on October 7th, and they pulled back into Gaza into their shell, uh, a shell of uh, human beings, actually, uh, fending them off. So I think don't uh, downplay those numbers, but but put the blame where it, where it's deserved, and that is right in the Hamas hands, Rich. All right, and that's that's absolutely accurate. It is it, the blame is in Hamas's hands, no question about it, Greg Palcott, no question about it. As the uh, as the war intensifies now in, in this next phase, and I know that there is obviously a debate back home here in the United States about aid to Israel, but. It, is there, a, is there a kind of a, a, a sense of, well, regardless of whether that money comes, I mean, this is, this is the mission, this is what's going to happen, and, and is there any thought behind the idea that, well, look, if the United States of America puts um, limitations on Israel's ability to fight the war, they might just say, you know, we don't, we don't want the money, we have to do what we have to do here. Secretary Day Blinken, Rich, was in uh, was in Israel yesterday, and uh, I think he uh, sort of personified the kind of message coming from the White House, trying to tamp down to some degree uh, the uh, fight uh, that I- Israel is putting up against Hamas, trying to emphasize civilians, and it's it's to the White House's credit uh, and to forces inside Israel that a lot of emphasis has been shifted back to the hostages. Uh, Remember, in the seven days of this uh, quote-unquote temporary ceasefire, uh, over a hundred hostages were released, transferred, exchanged for Palestinian prisoners. And that's significant, but I think the significant thing, too, is that something like 140 hostages remain inside Gaza. They include Americans. They include uh, some pretty high-value uh, targets for Hamas, uh, and I'm talking about the Israeli men and women military that are being held by Hamas. And that's, I, th- I think, to, to, to 
cut to the cut to the chase here, Rich. That's what makes this this conflict more complex than any I have seen in my 25 years of covering the Middle East. One thing you got the Hamas terror attacks. Yeah, Israel always strikes back. I just heard another artillery blast behind me into Gaza. And, you know, they'll do that maybe for a week or 10 days and then say job done. But job is not done because these hostages are in there, too. And that's that's complicating the, this this battle, uh, along with the other goal that uh, that uh, Israel is putting out for itself, and that is the absolute eradication, the finish of Hamas inside Gaza, not just damaging them, not just weakening them, absolute eradication. That is a high bar, and a lot of people think that might be a real challenge for Israel to, to take on, but they're back at it right now, Rich. Greg, I know you have to run, so last question I want to ask you. You brought up the hostages. I mean, there's so many disturbing stories coming out right now. Uh, as we hear about that, the baby who was killed, a, a Hamas burned child hostages with motorcycle exhaust pipes to mark them, drug them to keep them complacent. Uh, we, we know now that there was this outrage as a U.N.-Palestinian exhibition uses murdered Israeli, a murdered Israeli child's image as a Palestinian civilian casualty. There's a lot of heartbreak coming out right now about hostages and the deaths that, that, that happened at the hands of Hamas. I imagine right now that the feeling on the ground there has to be a sense of these people are just monsters and there's just no way to deal with them other than to just acknowledge that they are monsters. These are not reasonable people you are dealing with. This is not a fight over land or, or, or treasure or anything else. These people have a much different objective here. Yeah, the feelings are absolutely incredibly deep, Rich. We spent some time yesterday in Tel Aviv. There is that. Uh, I'm sure your listeners have seen it. It's, it's a not a memorial. It's a remembrance of these hostages and a reminder that the hostages have to come back. Uh, pictures of their, their faces. Uh, we're talking about ages from uh, from 10 months old to 86 years old. I mean, an incredible range. And uh, I talked to one woman. She told me. She goes to bed. She cries every night. This is some, a woman that doesn't even have a relative uh, stuck in this, this hostage crisis. The public is very, very concerned, very upset, especially as the stories grow coming out of the mostly we're hearing from the families of the hostages secondhand, but but still the freed hostages, but still very, very strong, uh, very little to eat, very little light, sanitary conditions, horrendous, being forced to watch torture videos, to be uh, put before the camera with videos, uh, being propaganda videos being made uh, all horrendous, horrendous things being done to these uh, civilians that had nothing to do with this, as well as the soldiers, too. And that is adding to the emotions here, but adding to the strength. I got two basic messages from the several people that I talked to yesterday. Number one, bring the hostages home. Number two, get rid of Hamas, Rich. Greg Palcott, Fox News Senior Foreign Affairs Correspondent. Thank you so much. Stay safe, Greg, please. Thank, thank you, Rich. And we'll be right back on Fox Across America. Coming right back. The show that's standing up to big tech. Get those nerds! 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 You're listening to Fox Across America.
All right. What are your what's your reaction to that live on the ground report from Greg Palcott? It's great to have him. Fantastic. It's Rich Zioli in for Jimmy Fallon today. Your pal mine, he's off, but don't worry. This weekend's here, which means he's almost back. Uh Casey is in Washington, DC. You are on Fox Across America, Casey. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, hey, I, I have a perspective here on, on uh, some of the, the disappointment, I think, in, in watching the hostage releases that, that for every single – yeah, I think there's a three-to-one ratio for every single Israeli hostage. I mean, there's about three Palestinian hostages that are released. Well, I think there's a there's a silver lining to this cloud because you now you're taking convicted Palestinian criminals, right? But you're putting them back. You're releasing them, hopefully, back into Gaza because, I mean – but you're putting them back on the on the uh, on the battlefield, and so instead, when they're living, you know, they got three cots and, or three hots and a cot, and you know, living in a pretty secure and probably living the good life in in uh, incarceration, they're now been put back on the battlefield where they can be targeted and eliminated. And plus, uh, think about the fiscal <laughs> benefits to this because they're no longer having to expend resources to incarcerate incarcerate them to feed and shelter them. Yeah, but aren't you putting people back on the battlefield, which is going to increase the ranks? You, they're going to be smoked. They're they're going to be taken off the. Um, they're going to be they're going to be yeah, taken but, but, off the. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 Casey, I understand that point, but aren't you also then just adding to Hamas's numbers if you put them back on the battlefield? Uh, I think the the overwhelming force that I've seen and the, the the extraordinary performance of the IDF that we've seen thus far, this is this is not going to be a challenge. I mean, they've already lost, in my opinion. Really? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a former I'm a Marine Corps artillery officer, retired, and um, they're, they're doing an extraordinary job. I mean, this this one I, I've I've seen Fallujah go down. Uh, they're doing great now, and, and the numbers that they're that they're releasing, uh, it's going to be insignificant. But I. It's they don't they don't have a bright future ahead of them. I'm Casey, I got to run, but listen, thank you for your service. God bless. Great perspective. I really appreciate you, it. It's a perspective nobody else is saying. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, uh, we got a lot more to get to here, but we're going to talk to Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fauci on the hot seat before Congress. Let's talk about it straight ahead. You know, the question is, what will Anthony Fauci say when he's grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time? Welcome back to Fox Across America. It is me, Rich Zioli, and for my buddy and yours, Jimmy Fallon. Here to talk about it with us, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. Hey, Doc, thanks so much for making time today. I appreciate it. Always good to be on with you, Rich. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, fellow uh, Jerseyite. So we got that, which is good. Uh, Fauci is going to be grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time. I would love to know what Dr. Nicole Sapphire would like them to ask Fauci. I'd love for you to offer some suggestions to the Republicans on that committee of what they should bring up with Fauci. 
Well, you know what? I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of hype for these early January hearings. And while I think it is crucial that Anthony Fauci desert, um, answers for a lot of what happened, I think it's going to be a little more of the same as what we have seen in the past. I mean, he continues to say, hey, I don't make mandates. Hey, I don't do these. I don't make policy. But the, the fact of the matter was he certainly was the public face of the COVID pandemic. I mean, people were making bobbleheads after him. He was invited to throw out pitches. He was, you know, invited to everything. So he does have some responsibility. But what I would really like the House Oversight to focus on are the potential ties to EcoHealth, the Wuhan Institute of Virology Lab. Was there some deceit? Was there some malfeasance where they were keeping information from the public of U.S. tax dollars funding this gain-of-function research? Was there a cover-up by Dr. Fauci because he didn't actually want it getting out that, you know, he was partaking in it? And I'd also like to see um, a more um, in-depth analysis of ties to the industry, specifically pharma and some of the other uh, you know, some of the the vaccines and the pharmaceuticals that came out during the pandemic, some were pushed more than others. And I would like to really understand if there's any evidence as to, you know, financial gain from Dr. Fauci or anybody and why some of that was pushed more than others. Yeah, excellent point. And what exactly he knew regarding the the safety of the WIV, the Warren Institute of Virology, because, you know, that Vanity Fair story that came out said, hey, listen, there were warnings. You know, the Deputy Energy Secretary, Dan Briette, Warning Fauci's National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases. Hey, they are they are playing around with coronaviruses here and the Chinese military may be involved. And so follow the money and follow the warnings. I mean, why why were the warnings not heeded by Fauci and his team? Well, and on top of that, I think it's really interesting. You know, Vanity Fair has finally come out and is acknowledging a lot of these ties. But I can tell you that in May 2020, Vanity Fair mentioned me in one of their articles, essentially causing, calling me a conspiracy theorist, as I said that there are far too many coincidences surrounding the close proximity of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the wet market, and all of the you know mystery illnesses that were coming out of that area um, late 2019. But so it was easy for them to deem me a charlatan. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Anybody who went um, against, you know, the the talking points that was coming out of Dr. Fauci was essentially, you know, cast aside as someone who, you know, ascribes to conspiracy theories. When at the end, at the end of the day, all we were doing was an- trying to ask some some questions. And I think it is prudent that those questions get answered. But unfortunately, I'll tell you, I believe that any and just about all evidence that could have linked the Wuhan Institute of Virology to the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic has probably been destroyed at this point. No, it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, now is suing Pfizer over what he says are misleading claims regarding the COVID vaccine and also for the fact that they were trying to censor people who were talking about it. I I remember you being on with me back in, I think it was uh, maybe April of last year when when the whole studies were coming out about kids and, and COVID shots and it was two years ago. It's, time kind of flies by lately. But uh, and, and you were saying, you know, look, look at the data from other countries in Europe. Look at what they're, they're turning out and saying. Look at the data from Israel. And, and yet that, that that information was not allowed to be put on social media platforms because it would make people really think twice about giving their kids a covid vaccine. And, and healthy young people should think twice about getting it. And you were saying all those things. And yet that that data, which was actual scientific data, was censored by big tech. 
Well, but it wasn't just big tech, right? You actually, we saw that there were emails and communicate between the White House, the Department of Defense, and big tech. So they were all in cahoots together. And unfortunately, you know, that's also a good question. You know, Dr. Fauci, again, being the director of the NIAID, excuse me, essentially, why were we so behind when it came to the data? Yes, it's true that just with, you know, every cycle each year, we look to different parts of the country to see what the flu season is going to be like. But that's because of, you know, the different respiratory seasons. We were very similar in our infection times to these other countries, yet we were six to 12 weeks behind reporting on data, including variants and treatment responses. Why did we have such an uncoordinated, uh, you know, data collection system? And I think part of it is because they were really banking on the vaccine to be the end-all, be-all. And when it became readily apparent that, you know, natural immunity, vaccine-induced immunity, maybe it gave you some protection against future infections, it certainly wasn't preventing disease anymore. And so they, they didn't know how to handle that because that's what they were waiting for. We'll keep locking down. We'll keep masking. We'll keep doing all these things until we hit these vaccine benchmarks. But when it realized those benchmarks don't matter. They had to scramble to change all of their policy, and they didn't have a contingency plan, and they were not following the science. And at what point do we need to hold accountable these institutions, the CDC, the WHO, and others who truly ignored science to fit with their talking points? Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. As, as all of this happens and more and more information is coming out, like, you know, we're hearing about what's spread in China now. This is pneumonia, which is gripping the country, and the other question I wanted to ask you is, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, and it's great to have you with us, of course, uh, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Um, what is white lung syndrome, and why does it seem like these things always, always kind of start in China? I don't know if this is the same disease that they're talking about now in China where they're locking people down again and making people wear masks or not, but... If it is, I guess I guess the question, if it did first emerge in China, is why, why does it seem like this keeps happening over there? Could this be another lab-made creation, or is this, again, somebody ordering something undercooked at a wet market? So what I believe is going on right now is that everyone has PTSD from the COVID pandemic, and media headlines and hype are really um, getting people uneasy. China... China is reporting that in nor northern China, there has been, you know, a clustered or an increase of pediatric or cases in kids of pneumonia. Kids are being hospitalized with pneumonia. And the World Health Organization has said to China, we want to know exactly what is causing these pneumonia cases. Well, China is saying, listen, it's just the normal stuff. It's flu. It's, it's other viruses, RSV. It's bacteria. It's like mycoplasma. And these are all kind of normal respiratory pathogens. But unfortunately, the world doesn't trust China anymore. And by the way, they lost, they lost any right to that trust. So China does need to put forth the laboratory studies confirming that, yes, there's no novel pathogen here, that this is just all the normal virus and bacteria that we're kind of used to. And there's something, something called an immunity dip or an immunity gap. We were dealing with it a bit here in the United States last year. Remember, we were talking about all of the strep throat and flu and all the kids? Well, because for the preceding couple of years, kids were kept out of school. They didn't have the same socialization. So they were not being exposed to all the same pathogens. So all of a sudden, their immune systems were down. So last year in the United States, we were a bit overwhelmed with all of the illness again. But again, all of the normal illness. China stayed locked down longer than we did. 
So now this is their year of an immunity gap. On top of that, we're also seeing a rise in specifically mycoplasma pneumonia cases. Mycoplasma is a well-known bacteria. It causes pneumonia. We call it an atypical pneumonia, um, especially in kids. Um, and that kind of cycles every four to five years. And the last time we saw a big mycoplasma spike was 2019. Before that, 2015. Before that, 2011. It's literally on track, as though we had plotted out a line graph we could have expected to see mycoplasma cases up right now. So I think that we need to calm down, you know, take, take a breath from the media headlines. It doesn't seem to be anything novel. It seems to be all our normal stuff. Our pediatric hospitals in the United States are not overwhelmed, but even if they are, that happens just about every year because the United States is terrible when it comes to pediatric health care. We've closed many of our hospital beds. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, we, my three-year-old right now is, is in, in school, preschool, and she's sick all the time, double ear infections, I mean, constantly coughing, runny noses. And I, well, the good news is that I've noticed that people are still sending their kids, you know, if they don't have a fever, they're still going. Because um, you're right, they got to build up immune systems. It, it has to happen that way. Uh, it's the only way these kids are going to have immune systems. And, and, and speaking of the damage that was done by lockdowns, there, there's another study that came out. I'm sure you've probably seen this, Dr. Sapphire, where they said that because of the COVID lockdowns, older people, this was a UK study, older people struck by COVID rules have worse mental health, uh, more instances of dementia, Alzheimer's, um, depression. I can imagine that. I mean, imagine, you know, your, your spouse of 50 years, you can't say goodbye to them. You're not allowed to even visit them in the hospital. You can't be around your friends. For a lot of these people, they're retired and their only outlet is going out to places and they couldn't do that. I, I can only imagine how mental health would be crippling for people, particularly in this age category. Well, absolutely. And by the way, I think it's funny that we have to have studies telling us this, right? Like who funded this study? I can definitely give you some more places where the money would have been better spent. But absolutely, what happened during COVID lockdowns, especially our elderly, they were, they were paralyzed in fear. They were told if they were around people, it would kill them. Family members were told, if you go around your elderly family member, you're going to kill them. So all of a sudden, they isolated themselves. And we absolutely know that isolation increases the risk of depression. It rapidly exacerbates dementia, aging, and cognitive decline. One, If you look at the blue zone areas across the, the world, blue zone areas are where people live the longest. One of the fundamental things, yes, it's good diet. Yes, it's good exercise. But the, one of the fundamental things is socialization and maintaining being a part of a social network. And that was stripped from people during the COVID pandemic. We knew better. We knew there had to have been better ways to handle it, but we ignored the science. And these are the repercussions from it. We have a rise in mental illness, not just in our elderly and our children and our adults. Unemployment is still high. People are struggling. And while maybe the lockdowns only lasted a year or two, the damages are going to last significantly longer and take much more work to come back from. No, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the part about it that is so incredibly heartbreaking. All right, last question for you. Massachusetts now says they are the second state with this child pneumonia outbreak. Uh, any, any thoughts for parents, any guidance right now for them, Dr. Sapphire, that you'd give if they're nervous about this? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, my two little guys, 10 and 9 years old, over Thanksgiving break essentially had the mycoplasma pneumonia. I mean, it is what it is, and here we are reporting on it. And so while common things being common, if your kiddo comes home with an upper respiratory infection, you know, a cough, a runny nose, it's probably going to be nothing. If that cough starts getting more severe, if they're spiking fevers, they're not drinking as much water, you know, and you just are a little worried about your kiddo, you absolutely should take them to the doctor. Because while viral infections don't necessarily need any medications, it could be a bacterial infection, which will respond quickly to medications. And so you don't want to just assume it's a virus. You always want to double check. And so the right thing to do is to go to your doctor. Also, sometimes they can prescribe breathing treatments and even steroids just to help those little guys' lungs because they're not as strong as ours. They can collapse a little bit easier. But, you know, what I always say is make sure they're eating healthily, get them some exercise, make sure they're sleeping well. You can throw in a humidifier in their bedroom, but make sure you're living your life. Yeah, well said. Well said, my friend. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. And here on Fox Across America, we'll be right back. The question is, Disney going broke after becoming woke as people now cancel their Disney Plus subscriptions? I'm going to ask guest producer extraordinaire Christine DeSanctis, who's here with us today Normally with Guy Benson show, but honored to have her helping me fill in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. So I'll ask her, do you guys have Disney Plus? Are you a Disney Plus household? And will you continue to be one? And I want to know from you if you are as well. And I'll tell you what decision I made and how it had nothing to do with politics and everything to do with Marvel. Straight ahead. The show that sees through the bullet. My response is right, you know, and the stripper really likes you. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Now, with all the things as parents we have to deal with all the time, the question is, do we pay extra for Disney Plus? Now, you should know I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and three-year-old. And they like a lot of the Disney stuff. I was a big Marvel fan, except for this new phase of Marvel, the last, the last one and this one. They're terrible. They're so bad. There's no creativity whatsoever and just the absolute worst. I mean, so bad. So the question is, will you keep Disney Plus if you don't have it, especially considering what Elon Musk said the other night, which is that Bob Iger, the CEO, can go blank himself. Disney doesn't want to advertise on Twitter. People have said Disney's gone woke. They've got, you know, guys with beards outside the bibbidi-bobbidi-boobidi princess shop. So uh, what do you do? Let me ask producer Christine the question. It's an honor to have you on the show today helping out. Thank you very much. Oh, I thank you, Rich. It's been a while. But, um, no, we've been talking about this all week, uh, especially on the Guy Benson show. I... I don't want to support Disney anymore. I, I mean, I've done my fair share, and I'm sure you have too. And let me tell you, it's a pretty penny. I'm not even just talking about the movies. I'm talking about even getting down there. Um, they That whole company needs to check itself. And I'm not necessarily against what Elon said, although I know a lot of people are. I, I hear you. I mean, I heard that they just raised prices again for the parks. They just raised them again. I mean, I took my family there a year ago to Disneyland. We went back in December of last year, and it cost us a friggin' fortune. I love how they're so woke, but they're also it's the it's the happiest place on earth. They say it's also probably the most expensive place on earth. You can't get anything there that's affordable. You can't bring food into the park, so they they hose you coming and going. I, I actually have a theory, Christine, which is that 
they use wokeness to hide the fact that they are probably one of, if not the most greediest corporations out there. That's actually a, a pretty good theory. I went for one week back in 2018, and it wasn't. We weren't staying at you know the the very expensive Grand Floridian, but we had a really nice package. And just take a guess for three people, including airfare, how much that week set us back? Um, seven thousand dollars. Ten thousand. Ten thousand dollars. Hmm. You and what else could you have done with that money? Um, got a new bathroom. I remember <laughs> I remember looking at my house when we got back. I'm like, wow, that powder room could have been completely redone if we really wanted to do that. But no, because we thought we were doing the right thing by taking our kid to Disney. But yeah, 10,000 later. So we're not doing that again. No, I think a lot of people have decided that they're just not doing that again. And then so the question is, will you pay for a Disney Plus subscription? Uh, we just unpaid for it. So of you course. just unpaid. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. I have a 10-year-old. We're past the princess phase. Now it's all Taylor Swift all the time. It is a Taylor Swift concert in my home every single night. So get ready, Rich. It's going to be coming to you, too. Oh, I am, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I can't wait. I can't wait, Christine. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right, we got a lot more to chat about here on Fox Across America. What's the latest with Hunter Biden? Is Hunter going to be in some hot water? We'll find out. Andy McCarthy is going to join me next. It's Rich Zioli in for your pal and mine, Jimmy Fallon. You know, just like I know, that Jimmy's absence today is heartfelt, and we all feel it. But a great third hour straight ahead. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Yes, it is. And Jimmy Fallon is off today, but it's me, Rich Zioli, in for your buddy and mine, Jimmy Fallon. What a show, and it's flying by. I can't believe two hours is already gone. What is next week going to bring? That is the question. What is next week going to bring when it comes to Hunter Biden? Here to talk about it with us. Andrew McCarthy, senior Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andrew McCarthy, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great, Rich. How are you? Good. Anytime I get to fill in for Jimmy, I'm a happy guy. So this is a great. And then when you get to come on the show with me, I know it's going to be magic, baby. Oh, I, I just I, I can I can feel it. It's kind of electric, don't you think? <laughs> it goes right through the airwaves. All right. Let's talk about, first of all, why the chairman of the committee, Jim Comer, is uh, saying that there needs to be a private deposition of Hunter Biden. And what's the difference really between a private deposition and a public hearing? And why is it that Hunter is insisting on all of this being in public? Well, a lot of it is is theater. There's big differences between a private deposition and, you know, anybody who's watched these crazy kill hearings where, you know, you get 45 members of this committee ask five minute rounds of questions. So it goes on for, uh, you know, six or seven or more hours, but nobody can ever, uh, you know, develop a line of inquiry or a line of cross-examination. Most of it is speech making rather than testimony. Whereas uh, in an investigation, what you want to do is have have something that's akin to like a grand jury um, where you can actually come in and, uh, you know, somebody who's competent in questioning witnesses uh, can 
develop lines of inquiry over like an hour of um, of rounds rather than five minutes. And it's like the grand jury in the sense that you not only get a narrative out of the witness and the questioning is coherent, but you also can ask about documents and that kind of stuff where you you then discover other lines of investigation and other things you need to cover. So any investigator is going to want something like that. And it's important to note, Rich, that this is typical. This is what happens. It's not like Comer made this up for this investigation. Uh, in the Trump impeachment inquiry, they subpoenaed people and forced them to come in for these kinds of depositions. Uh, in the January 6th committee, they did the same thing. There were a lot of witnesses who took the position then that they wanted to testify in public and didn't want to sit for these inquiries or these depositions because they didn't trust the committees. The, the difference is when Trump witnesses made those claims in connection with those investigations, the media liked those investigations, so they gave short trip to the you know people saying they wanted to testify in public. But here, the media hates Comer's investigation and is sympathetic to Hunter, so they're playing up his claim that he only wants to testify in public because he doesn't trust the committee. But you know, this is this is a game that gets played all the time. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. And I think Hunter Biden wants to do a show here and wants a spectacle for the cameras. But I, mm. but, you know, the, the transcript and the and, and then to ultimately hold a public hearing down the road sounds like a, a, a pretty good thing. What is in terms of how this plays out? I mean, is, is this a situation where ultimately Comer gets his way or Hunter Biden can say, no, it's either public or nothing. I mean, what sort of legal authority do they have here in this matter? Well, so the, the thing is that no one's going to end up happy. Um, Comer is in the right uh, in the sense that a, a subpoena is not an ind- is not a you know it's not a suggestion. It's not like an RSVP where you know you say we we sure hope you can come. Um, it's an order. You have to show up. So he's got to show up. On the other hand, he's under indictment and presumably, or although I think this is way overstated given the way this has been handled, uh, he's presumably under additional investigation and facing potentially other charges. What that means, Rich, is that he has a live Fifth Amendment privilege and he doesn't really have to testify. He can refuse to testify. And I actually think this whole escapade where he's, you know, pounding on the table and saying, I don't want to come to a deposition, but I'll testify in public. The only reason he's doing that is he knows the committee is not going to give in to him on that and that it doesn't have to give in to him on that. He doesn't want to say publicly, I can't testify because, you know, it could hurt me uh, in the criminal prosecutions. So he'd rather spin this that, um, this is an insidious committee that won't let him testify in public, and that's why he's being resistant, when in point of fact, he's not going to testify because his defense lawyer would be crazy to let him testify when he's facing charges. Andy McCarthy's with me right now on Fox Across America. Uh, no question about it. And I wanted to ask you, kind of switching gears for a second, the the question about Donald Trump and the latest gag order, I guess, uh, I guess a higher court upheld the gag order against him and the judge. I, I'm sure you were probably as shocked as I was to see the ACLU come out and at least criticize the federal gag order against the former president. 
I mean, he's he's in a unique spot here because he's he's normally you'd get the advice of saying don't say anything, just keep your mouth shut and don't incriminate yourself. Yeah. But he's running for president, so he's got to explain his case. And and these are public figures. Uh, so, I mean, do you think this gag order is actually constitutional? No, I, I you know, I think that um, it's not a it, it's. It's not a straightforward situation. There, there's complexity to it. I mean, ordinarily, trial courts are allowed to regulate to some extent uh, the behavior, including the public commentary of participants in the proceeding. Uh, and that's especially true of lawyers. Trump, it should be pointed out that, you know, lawyers get um, get gagged all the time because you give up you forfeit your, um, you know, the, the full run of your First Amendment protection in order to be a member of the bar. You know, you agree to be a member of the, uh, the court's bar and to follow the, the, the regulations attendant to the legal profession. But Trump is a volunteer. And as you point out, he's not just a – I'm sorry, he's not a volunteer. He's, be, he's been dragged into these proceedings uh, against his will, so he's not like a lawyer who agreed to abide by – uh, gag conditions, and he's a highly unusual uh, litigant in that uh, he's also running for president, and he's running running against people, Republicans and Democrats, who are completely uninhibited in what they're allowed to say about his travails in these cases. So he's obviously it's a public issue. He's got to be able to uh, address it. And to the extent that these judges think that there's nothing in life other than their little proceedings and that they can put whatever conditions on it uh, that they want, I think the judges have to realize that uh, in the United States, no right is absolute, uh, and everybody has to compromise when rights rub up against each other. So they're going to have to put up with more public commentary from Trump than they would in an ordinary case. It's just a fact because there's other constitutional considerations at, at work. Right, right. There are other constitutional considerations at work here, no question about it. And I guess as I'm thinking about all this, and you and, and Charles C.W. Cook at National Review, your colleague over there, you kind of had a little back and forth uh, about this, and that's crazy. And I, 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 explain to me the point that you were making with your, your take on this regarding Trump and, and all these indictments. Well, I wasn't really disagreeing with Charlie so much as saying that um, – I think Charlie's point that we're in a crazy time, um, which, by the way, the, the thing that uh, predicated that whole discussion was our editor, Phil Klein, made the, I think, uh, undeniable point that Trump really took control of the, Dem- of the Republican nomination process because of the indictments, that that really is what galvanized his support and made it very difficult for any other candidate to get traction. And Charlie's point was that that's a crazy situation, that, you know, this idea that indictments could actually help somebody get nominated. And my only point in responding was to say, well, crazy, but crazy like a fox, because the Democrats knew uh, that the indictments would have exactly this effect, and they've done this on purpose. So, you know, ordinarily you wouldn't adopt a crazy strategy on purpose because a crazy strategy might not work. This is like perversely effective, but it's exactly what they knew would happen. And I think, as I I think I've discussed with you before, Rich, 
I've thought all along that the strategy here is to indict him to help him get nominated. And then what they figure is that the trials and other stuff that they can put out that's going to have a lot of damaging information then come out after he's already got the nomination locked up and hurt him very badly going into the November election because then the audience is not the Republican base, which is sympathetic to Trump. It's the broader public where he's already not nearly as popular. Yeah, and I think that that, that, that gamble that they had, the problem for them is that maybe Americans just don't care so much about the indictments and everything when they're thinking about the economy. That story from CBS News the other day saying, you need an extra eleven thousand four hundred dollars just to be at the same level of of living you were back in uh, January of twenty twenty one. So, I mean, this is a this is a big gamble the Democrats are making here. I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Andy McCarthy. They wanted him to be the nominee. They thought he was the easiest one to beat. But if the early polls are any indication, he's got significant leads in several of the key states he needs to win. And Democrats have a terrible candidate in Joe Biden. It's possible that people may just say. All of this is just background noise. And as long as he's allowed to remain on the ballot, they may say the economy matters more and I was better off under him. So I guess that brings me to the question of, of the ballot and the efforts by Democrats right now to try to keep him off the ballot. I know that there were some rulings that came out that said you can't keep him off the ballot in a primary, mainly the court saying that primaries are, in fact, you know, private political party exercises, even though they're governed by um, state election laws are still private entities deciding on their own candidates, so they don't have the right to keep somebody off a primary ballot. But they were very silent on the issue of a, of a general election question of whether or not they could keep him off the ballot. Do you, do you anticipate them trying that route of saying 14th Amendment, Section 3, he can't be on the ballot in our state? Yeah, I, I think the 14th Amendment, Section 3 thing is completely meritless. Uh, you know, I know there's some uh, – even conservative scholarship that pushes in the other direction. I, I find it completely unpersuasive. I don't think Section 3 applies to the president and the vice president. It seems to me that, you know, if you look at Section 3, it, it has an exhaustive list of who it applies to, and it even mentions electors for president and vice president, but it doesn't mention the president and the vice president, which seems to me like if, if there was an intention to apply it to them, uh, obviously, that would have been written in there, just like they wrote in senators and representatives and the like. So I don't think it applies anyway. But I do worry um, about the scenario that you are addressing, because so far what they've done is go to court to try to get them off the ballot. And I think in the courts, they'll reject this argument as legally meritless. What I worry about as you get down to the end toward Election Day is if instead of going to the court, they go to some Democratic uh, secretary of state or attorney general and try to get that politically elected Democrat on his own without going to court to strike Trump from the ballot, where it wouldn't necessarily be legal, but they would like try to you know procedurally tie it up at least until after Election Day uh, and just make it uh, and make it very difficult for him to be on the ballot. So I do worry about those kind of shenanigans. But if I was worried about the ballot, Rich, I'd be a lot. I, I think the thing that can really throw the election into turmoil is the third and fourth party candidates. You know, I've always been someone who said that I don't think Trump really has a chance to win 
in the broad electorate because I think he's too unpopular and I don't think he can hit the number that he needs to hit to win. But I think if you get a third or fourth candidate who's going to actually draw from both sides, everything I've said and everyone else has said about a two-party race kind of goes out the window. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, well said. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at here in this political season. Uh, Andy McCarthy, always a pleasure, my friend. Can't wait to have you back on my show in Philadelphia very, very soon. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about. So have a great weekend. Thanks, Rich. Terrific talking to you. And we'll be right back on Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for Jimmy. Don't go away. You're listening to the best dad on the radio. Can't believe you forgot my birthday. You're with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Well, a lot of talk about from censorship. Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger fighting back against the censorship industrial complex. Of course, it's trying to keep Americans from saying anything the government doesn't like. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. It is Fox Cross America with Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy's off today, but it's me, Rich Zioli, in with you for your fellow pal. Uh, and we're going to talk to Congresswoman Debbie Lesko in just a few minutes as well. She, uh, we're going to ch- chat about, you know, they kicked George Santos out today. Uh, that was kind of the big story. But she has a lot to say about electric vehicles. You know, there was a story there today. So it said um, EV makers to Joe Biden. People don't want these cars. The, the climate change conference in Dubai is going on. I got to tell you, I love Dubai. Dubai is my new favorite country. It is the jerseyest nation in the world. And what I mean by that is it's so New Jersey with its tactics. Like I've been involved in New Jersey politics for a long time and the sleaziness and the kind of, you know, winking the other way. You talk about ethics and you take a bag of cash kind of way. Dubai. I love this. They host the COP28 climate conference. And while doing so, they are doubling down on drilling. Yes, drill, baby, drill. They're building new islands. They're actually building new islands off of their coast so that they can keep drilling offshore. And the whole time they're doing this, they're turning around and saying, hey, welcome, climate change uh, crazy people. We're here to host you. We have uh, straws that dissolve into water. We've got paper napkins that are recycled, made from recycled paper. And uh, we're all in. Yeah, save the climate, baby. But actually what they're all in on is drilling. Because Dubai has decided that as the world turns away from oil, The world is still going to need oil. And then Dubai wants to make sure that it is there to provide it for everybody else. So that when the world turns around and goes, "Um, hey, uh, (laughs) you know, we got any oil we could borrow because, you know, we gave all ours away and we decided to put a bunch of wind turbines and it's not cutting the mustard because the wind's not blowing enough. Dubai can turn around and say, "Okay, sure, I got your oil for you. We can help, but it's going to cost you. Just saying, it's going to cost you a little bit of a, you know, got to wet my beak. So they are doubling down, seeing the future and seeing our stupidity at the same time. As the United States of America turns around and says, you know what? Listen, we're not going to continue our offshore drilling. We're going to limit drilling in Anwar. We are going to tie our own hands behind our back and become dependent on countries like Dubai. Dubai says, we'll build islands. We'll build freaking islands so that we can keep drilling. We're going to keep drilling into oblivion. And at the same time, we'll host a climate change conference where everybody who got there got there on a private jet and is being ferried around in big, luxurious SUVs. 
while they whine and dine and try to tell the rest of us we need to learn to adapt to eating bugs and lab-grown chicken. Yeah, I have no um, love for these people, as you can imagine. But I do love Dubai. They are pulling one over. It's like the old saying, the magician doesn't see the magic, he only sees the trick. Boy, they are playing a trick. Fox Cross America, we'll be right back. All right, Fox Cross America, firing away. Loaded up today. Jimmy Fail is off, but it's me, Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Great to be with you. Having a lot of fun. Great to have Chris Christine here. Josh is helped too. Can't do it without him. And great to welcome to the program Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. She represents Arizona's 8th Congressional District. She's on the House Committee on Energy and a committee member, uh, how, I'm sorry, a committee member of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. Uh, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko on Twitter at Rep D Lesko. Thanks for joining me here on Fox Across America. Thanks for having me, Rich. Absolutely. It's great to be on. It's great to have you on. So let's start with the fact that uh, your former colleague, I guess I would say now, George Santos, was expelled from the House. How did you vote on this and what are your thoughts? Well, I voted no, and, you know, this is a very rare in history. There's five former people that have been expelled from Congress prior to Santos, and three of them were during the Civil War and or after the Civil War, and the other two were convicted of crimes. And so I voted no because George Santos had not been convicted of a crime in a court of law And if he had been, I would have voted yes. But since he hadn't been, I voted no. Okay, that's that's fair. I I actually I I respect your reasoning on that. And I think that that's pretty similar to what Tom Massey said uh, earlier today. But the vote was there. And I guess I'm sure the Democrats were all more than happy to kick him out. Right. Yeah, there was two Democrats that voted no. So there were a total of 311 yeses, 114 noes. So 112 of were noes were Republicans and two were Democrats that voted no. And then there were a couple uh, that voted present, like they didn't want to vote yes or no. They just voted that they were present and <laughs> didn't want to record which way they voted. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Let's talk about electric vehicles. You've been pretty outspoken on this. And uh, these dealerships, these dealers are turning around saying, look, people don't want these things. They're not buying them. And the only way that they even move is if the government gives massive rebates and subsidies. They're just not something that people want. And yet, you know, like Congresswoman, in my state of New Jersey, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, has said by 2035, all vehicles have to be electric. The only way this transition happens is not the free market. It's if the government mandates it by basically making gas-powered cars illegal, like what Gavin Newsom wants to do in California. Well, yeah, and what your state wants to do. And it's just ridiculous because it's not following what the constituents and the people want, which is obvious from when I, you know, I had car dealers from not only Arizona, but throughout the entire nation that have come into my office and told me, listen, at first there was a waiting list to get an electric vehicle. But now people, once they uh, started using them and decided that, okay, I have, I, I have worried that I can't charge my vehicle if I'm going on long trips and things like that, they're sitting on their lots. 
and they can't get rid of them. And, you know, Republicans like myself knew this was going to happen because you can't have a government program that mandates things that don't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to mandate, as the Biden administration Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, has this proposed rule on vehicle emissions, which would effectively mandate that 67% of all cars and light trucks and 25% of all heavy-duty trucks manufactured by 2032 have to be all electric. That's only nine years from now. And it's it's a crazy thing. They're pushing it on the people. They're giving tons, tons of taxpayer dollars and subsidies uh, towards that. In fact, there was a recent study that it is costing us taxpayers $50,000 per electric vehicle sold in taxpayer subsidies and regulatory credits. Uh, per car over a 10-year period. It's just insane. $50,000 per car. Yep. Is that what you just said? Yep. I heard that correctly. $50,000 per car. And that was from the Texas Public Policy Foundation did a study on that. And they added up all of the taxpayer costs for every single electric vehicle sold. $50,000 a car in taxpayer money is being spent. That is insane, but I'm telling you, I work uh, with the Democrats on the Hill, and the vast majority of them, this is like a religion to them. It it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not, so they want to put all vehicles, be all electric, they want to force it on the American people, which, of course, China is has the advantage on the supply chain. Uh, so most of the critical minerals, like lithium for the batteries, are refined in China, not in the United States. And also, the Biden administration wants to shut down natural gas energy power plants here in the United States, which gives baseload energy to the electric grid, because we're going to have more demand on the electric grid. But at the same time of putting all of those electric vehicles on the grid, they want to shut down natural gas energy plants that produce the electricity on the grid. And then they also want to shut down mines like they are in Arizona. They shut down a mine that Trump had okayed. It was a copper mine, and they shut it down. And it's just sitting there. $2.3 billion was invested in that mine. It could have produced 25% of all the copper that's needed in the United States, and Biden shut it down. Well, instead, now we're going to have kids doing it in third world countries, right? Exactly. Kids or slaves. You know, it, it, it's just insane. And China is buying up these mines. They're smart. You know, I, I have to give it to them. They have a long-term plan. They can because, you know, they have communism. And, and in the meantime, we have all these regulations and liberal policies, and it's just hurting America, and it's helping China. Yeah, no, no question about it. Let's talk about uh, the border, too. I mean, th- th- you have a fellow lawmaker in Arizona calling for the National Guard to go down there to handle the migrant surge. Uh, what's your sense of what's being debated right now in Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, with regards to the border? And do you think it's going to have any teeth in it? Or is this just going to be a way to uh, satisfy Republicans who really just don't want to do any more Ukraine funding? And this is the excuse they'll be able to use to get it past the finish line. 
Well, we really do need to secure the border, and uh, the Biden administration just wants everybody and anybody in. You know, in fact, there's uh, two Democrats that sponsored a bill recently that would legalize uh, immigration to the United States if the country that they're coming from has climate change. Well, of course, you know, according to them, the whole world is, you know, is in an existential threat because of climate change. So that means every person in the entire world should legally immigrate, be able to legally immigrate to the United States. Um, I, I, here in the House that the Republicans control, uh, we passed a bill, H.R. 2, back in May of this year that would uh, really uh, help secure the border. It reinstalls many of the Trump-era policies, like the Remain in Mexico policy, so people would have to wait in Mexico or a third country while their asylum claim is processed through our courts. They couldn't just get a free pass into the United States. Um, we passed that. And now Speaker Johnson is really adamant about making sure we get that bill or portions of that bill in any deal for Ukraine funding, possibly Israel funding. You know, he's trying to use whatever leverage we have, because as you know, Republicans only have majority in the House. In the, they have Democrat majority in the Senate and a Democrat president. So we have to use whatever leverage we can get to secure the border because it's a national security risk. And then the other question I have for you is, how come you're not running for re-election? You, a lot of people were surprised to hear that. Well, you know, I was surprised myself. I surprised myself a little bit, but um, I was going to run again. And then I was going to call it quits after the next time because I'm not one of these people that want to stick here till I die. You know, I, I just I don't find it that attractive. Right. Um, but. But the more I came here, you know, more often that it became more often that I questioned why I was doing it, because it's really a sacrifice. People don't realize that we're away from our family so much. We're here in session working in Washington, D.C. about three weeks out of every month. Um, I have to travel. It's a five-hour flight back and forth, so I miss my husband, I'm, you know, and I miss my 94-year-old mother and my kids and my grandkids, and I'm just missing out on a lot of family life. And for me, it was the time to go back and spend time with my family in Arizona, and who knows what I, you know, whether I run for another elected office in Arizona or what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I'm not sure yet, but it was time for me because I just felt like the benefits, like what I could get accomplished, uh, was not enough to justify me being away from my family. Understood. Well said. Well said. Well, listen, we appreciate all the great work you've done. We appreciate you still speaking out on these issues. Last question for you before I let you go, though, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. Uh, where do you think the Hunter Biden testimony winds up next week? Are, are you optimistic that we're going to get some answers out of him? Uh, and also Fauci, too. Are, are you are you hopeful that we'll get some answers from Dr. Anthony Fauci about gain of function research and uh, the earliest days of COVID and things like that? Well, I hope we do. Um, you know, these people, especially Fauci, are very slippery. You know, they know they've been coached on how to answer things. But I, I tell you what, I think we're getting closer and closer 
to a House vote on an impeachment inquiry because the more and more information that we are getting here in the U.S. House of Representatives implicates President Biden in like a bribery scheme, um, you know, where his family was getting all kinds of money from China, uh, Romania, um, Ukraine, from foreign countries because of the Biden name. And it's like looking to me, it's looking bad for them. But what's happened now is the White House has sent, um, you know, the Comer and uh, Jordan and uh, the other chairman of Ways and Means, Jason Smith, a letter saying, well, you haven't had a full House vote on impeachment inquiry, so we're not going to listen to your subpoenas. So now the whole House, I hope that we get the votes to vote for impeachment inquiry and voted out of the house because then we'll have more legal standing to get more answers because we need to connect more dots and make sure that we connect president biden uh, more explicitly to this money that hunter biden and uh, other members of his family were bringing in because of the biden name yeah very very good all right well listen congresswoman we appreciate your time today congresswoman debbie lesko best of luck in retirement in your last uh, your last time, I guess you're not running for re-election, so we got you for some time, right? Yep, I'm going to be here a year, and I'm going to be fighting like heck for the values that we believe in. Good. Well, follow her on Twitter, at Rep D. Lesko. Thank you again. And this is Fox Across America. We'll be right back. A show so good, people don't know what to think. This feels weird. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun, though, isn't it? Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, what a show. Rushing it today, but Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, Producer Christine, have you put up your tree yet? So, (laughs) uh, my tree has been put up for almost a month now. Oh, you you go early. You're one of the pre-Thanksgiving people, huh? Oh, yeah, like the whole entire place is Christmas. Really? Mm-hmm. Down to like, place. yeah, down to like my festive Christmas plates and cups and wine glasses and wine charm holder, like towel. Everything is Christmas. Everything is Christmas. Is it your favorite holiday? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a strict. Uh, I, I do not engage in Christmas behavior until after Thanksgiving. Now, why? I, I, you, my, no, my... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want elves on the shelf. I don't want trees. I don't want lights. I don't want to hear music. Nothing until the day after Thanksgiving. Well, but, well, it, I've fought with Guy Benson many of time over this. Like, it brings people joy. Are you just like not a, like you just don't want other people to be happy? No, I want to respect Thanksgiving and I want to respect Halloween. Who cares Listen, you go about to stores th- now and they have Halloween, like during Halloween, they have Christmas decorations out. Right. And who cares about Thanksgiving? It's like uh, there's this great video going around. It's like, why are you protecting Thanksgiving so much? Like, what's so great about this one day where you eat this one meal? Like, why are we protecting it? Well, you know, the White House this year, they did something different. They they normally put up uh, stockings with the names of the grandkids on all the stockings. But this year, they did not do that. Do you know why they didn't do that? I can only imagine, but please do tell. Because now the Bidens have acknowledged the other grandkid, Hunter's daughter, who they've been ignoring and pretending like she didn't exist. Now they publicly acknowledged her. That means her name would have to go in a stocking. 
They don't want that name on a stocking above the White House mantle uh, fireplace. So they are scrapping the stockings this year. That poor little girl. I mean, like, talk about really getting into the Christmas spirit, Bidens. Yeah, right? And they say they're going to do that at Camp David. Well, first of all, Camp David is close to everybody. You can't just go to Camp David. you got to be invited. So we won't ever really know if they do that. But they are just so ashamed of this little girl that's Hunter's kid. I mean, she is. And she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything wrong. And and what is, like, we probably, nobody would report on this if they just did put the stocking up. Or if anything, it would be like, okay, that was really nice. Because the little girl has nothing to do with this. But they are the worst. They really are. They won't even give her a tour of the White House. I'm telling you. They won't even let her in. Uh, let me ask you this, though, producer Christine. Christmas ornaments are out. Gen Z is decorating their trees with uh, with something else instead. Do you know what it is? Bows? Yes, bows uh, full of bows. Bows full of bows. Uh, and, and I don't know why. why. Why are ornaments out? I love Christmas ornaments. I don't understand either. Is this because, like, they're afraid they're going to, like, break the Christmas ornaments? Or is this just they needed to have something different? For them and then for us to be, like, old and out of date. I'm looking at these bows right now. They're not even pretty. They're just taking, like, um, satin, you know, string and making bows into them. They're not even making pretty bows. So I don't I don't know what the point is of that. Yeah, well, I'm telling you right now. Uh, I'm an ornament guy. I mean, every time me and my wife travel somewhere, I bring home an ornament from that place. So when we're decorating the tree, I can say, oh, remember the time we were in New Orleans? Remember the time we were here? And we can kind of relive the memories of it. So we do the same thing, and also uh, what Bobby and I realize, and I'm sure every couple before you have kids, uh, we were pretty vain about ourselves as a couple because every ornament before Megan said, like, Bob and Christine in Hawaii, Bob and Christine here, here's Bob and Christine. It's like Bob and Christine's first wedding anniversary. Bob and Christine. It was crazy. I'm like, wow, we really thought a lot about ourselves. Yeah, seriously, right? But it's okay, though. That's that's the how you make sure we have our memories. I know your memory is not that great. I know Guy makes fun of you all the time for that. So Thank how you, else are you going to remember things? Oh, you're welcome. Christine. I, I appreciate I can that. Do to, it's the least I can do for you, all you've done for me today. But really, how can we preserve these things if we do not remember where we were with an ornament? Like, what are they going to do, just write on the, the ribbon? Right. <laughs> this ribbon may have work. been to Nashville last year. <laughs> Well, hopefully I'll be back with you guys a little bit over the Christmas uh, time. It's been fun. Christine, thank you. Josh, thank you. And thank you for listening to Fox Across America. Always an honor when my buddy Jimmy Fela asks me to fill in for him. It's Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm now going to go do my show, which will be heard on 1210 AM WPHD. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.